Uh, keep the word open and let's pray before we have a look at that. Our Father in heaven, thank you for reminding us tonight of the words of Jesus. We don't want to be those who are foolish, who hear your words and yet do not put them into practice. Uh, but we want to be wise, who hear, who listen, who put them into practice and obey. So grant us your Spirit's help to understand your words and then to give us the, the power that we need to put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have the opportunity to host your ultimate dinner party. Uh, you have yourself and a table of seven other seats. Who do you invite? It can be anyone from uh, fiction or reality, uh, someone who is alive or someone who is dead. You just need seven people, and they will come. Who do you invite? Uh, why, not, why not turn to the people next to you and try and come up with seven names? Who would you invite? Come on. Let's, let's see. Who do you come up with? Okay, there's some laughter, uh, some confused faces. Who you invite reveals quite a lot about you. Is anyone willing to shout out maybe a name that would definitely be on your list of seven people? Spurgeon from Garvey, okay. You don't have to be so holy. My grandfather, okay. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> who, el who else? Who else is on your list? You're all nervous because you know that, don't you? It reveals a lot about you, who you invite. No one else? Jesus, okay. Good. Anyone else? Jane Austen. Churchill, yeah. I, here's my list, in case you're interested, you're probably not. Uh, Billy Connolly, Bill Cosby, P.G. Woodhouse, Stephen Fry, Boris Johnson, John Bunyan. I just think the interaction of those people would be fascinating. <laughs> Do you know what I think? But who you invite reveals a lot about you. What you're interested in, where your areas of expertise is, what kind of atmosphere you want to create, the people you like to engage with. Who you invite reveals a lot about you. There's a great advert at the moment. It's, it's for an alcoholic beverage, so I won't mention the name. But in the latest Guinness advert, there is this... Um, there's a tagline at the end. It's the one with um, the wheelchair basketball. Great advert. The tagline is, the choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. That's gold. The choices you make reveal the true nature of your character. Just as who you invite to your ultimate dinner party reveals a lot about you, the choices you make reveal your inner character. Now, that is very Proverbs. Uh, it is all about choices. 
And so far, the father has had his son kind of in his son's bedroom, and he's been sitting down with him saying, listen, before you go out the door into the big bad world, I want to instill this framework in your mind that is, life is full of choices. Every person, every circumstance, every temptation, every moment of suffering is a choice. And are you going to choose to be wise, or are you going to choose to be foolish? And the choice you make in that moment reveals the true nature of your character. What are you going to choose? And the father's about to draw the curtains on his introduction. And the, father is about to, the son is about to step out the door into the real world. And what does the father want his son to have foremost in his mind as he faces these choices? Well, Proverbs 9 is where he finishes these lectures. And what he's going to present to us tonight is two invitations He's introduced us so far in the book, these two women, a woman wisdom who personifies God's wisdom. She's going to speak. She's going to invite the son to a banquet. But then the father is also going to let woman folly speak for one last time. And she too isn't going to invite the same son to a banquet. What the son chooses will reveal the true nature of his character. What I choose, what you choose will reveal whether you are wise or whether you are foolish. In this chapter, will reveal whether we will truly live or whether we will eternally perish. Our choices will reveal the true nature of our character. And we're just going to look at these two banquets. Firstly, women wisdom's banquet, then women folly's banquet. You with me? Good, let's look at women, women Wisdom's Banquet, the first six verses, verses one to six. Now, the first few verses just set the scene. So in verse one, we have the venue. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. The scene is big. Her house is massive. These seven pillars show not only the extensiveness of her house, but the perfection of it. Seven in the Bible is perfection. There's the venue. The meal, verse 2, she's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. I think the football team went out for their Christmas meal last night, and I heard it was nothing but meat. Here it is, luxurious meat, extravagance, just meat and wine. Verse 2, she sets the table. The scene is prepared. Verse 3, she then goes out, invitations, both from her maids, she sends out these women, but also her voice. She sends out this invitation to her banquet. And where does she locate herself? Verse 3, from the highest point of the city. Her venue, her meal, her table, her invitations, her location. Now the language in those verses are, they, they reverberate around the rest of the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles. And what it reveals about woman wisdom is, she's not only personifying God's wisdom, but here... She's actually in the place of God. She is a great host. She is the great inviter. That is true of God in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible open, turn to Isaiah verse chapter 25. In the Red Bibles, page 708. I just want to show you, woman wisdom here stands in the place of God. She shows that she has a divine side to her. Chapter 25, Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, 
the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. God is the great host. He is the one who hosts the banquet. And where is it on Isaiah 25? On this mountain. Where did wisdom locate herself in Proverbs 9? At the highest point. Do you know, biblically, what is on the highest point of God's city? His temple. It is where God dwells. It is where his house is. Wisdom here is personifying, showing us God. He is the great host. But more than that, he is the great inviter. Keep going in Isaiah to Isaiah 55. 55 verse 1, page 742. And here we see God, not only the great host, but the great inviter. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good and your soul will delight in the finest of fair. God is the great host. God is the great inviter. He goes out and says, come, all you who are thirsty. So wisdom here shows us what God is like. When Jesus appears in the New Testament, it is not insignificant when he starts telling stories of banquets. When he starts sending out invitations saying, come, what do we learn of Jesus? That where wisdom personified God, Jesus comes on the scene as God. He is the great host. He is the great inviter. Question though, who is invited in Proverbs chapter 9? Go back to Proverbs. So wisdom set her house, she set the meal, she set the table. The invitations are sent, but... To who? Well, verse 4. She cries out from the highest point of the city, Let all who are what come in here? Let all who are A-list, let all who are richless, let all the nobility come in here. Let all who are moral, let all who are right, let all who are good come in. Correct? Let all who are simple. Verse 4. She speaks to those who lack judgment. It is a great host, it is a great house, it is a great banquet. Are they great guests? Not so much. They are the simple and the lacking in judgment. What is that? Who is that in Proverbs? Let me show you. Proverbs 7, verse 7. Because this language of someone being simple and lacking judgment has come up before. 7, verse 7 I saw, this is the Father speaking, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Now what happens in that story in chapter 7? The youth who was simple and lacked judgment did what? He went and slept with a prostitute. Chapter 9, to all who are simple, to all who lack judgment, come in. What? A great host, great banquet, great food, great house. These guys, the very person to whom God, the great host, invites is the bloke who is coming fresh out of the brothel. What is that? Who you invite 
reveals a great deal about who you are. Did any of you guys invite this guy? Who of you said, yeah, I, w- I want the guy straight from the prostitute? Not many, I guess. What is God doing? Well, who he invites reveals a huge amount about his character. God is the great inviter, is the gracious inviter. The, the grounds for an invitation to his banquet is not merit, but need. To those who are simple and lacking in judgment, God says, come. The fool in Proverbs is not excluded from the banquet, but is implored to come in. Great banquet, great host, great food, great house, and yet the seats are full of what? Full of fools. And so what does God say to the fools? How does he tell them to come? Well, verse 5, come and eat my food, drink the wine I've mixed. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of understanding. He says, fools, come to the banquet. Leave your old way of life and walk towards my banquets. You leave one way, you turn from one way, and you walk another way. The The Bible's term for that is repentance. The invitation from God, the great host, to a simple fool who lacks judgment is what? Repent. Come and repent. Turn from your old way of life. Come to me. Turn from that. Come to me. So he says to any fool, to anyone who is deeply aware of their own faults and their own needs and their own brokenness, you've got a place at my table. All you need to do is leave that and come here. Christianity is not just something that you believe in. It is not less than that, but it is more than that. Christianity is not just a title that you claim, but it involves leaving something and walking towards something else. Christianity is not just talk, but it is this walk. And so God, the great inviter, says to someone who is walking away from him, walking the wrong direction, repent and come to my banquet. Now, that section we read from Matthew 7 and Matthew 9 was interesting. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, who does he mingle with? Well, he comes to this bloke called Matthew, who's a tax collector, despised, hated in his day. And he says, Matthew, follow me. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, see it and say to Jesus' disciples, hold up. What is he doing? What's he eating with tax collectors and sinners for? Jesus hears them. And he says, don't you know, I've not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. I've not come for the righteous, but for sinners. And Matthew, this tax collector, deeply aware of his own need, his own brokenness, his own lack, does what? He leaves his old lifestyle, and he walks with Jesus. And the Pharisees hate him. So that in chapter 9, if we were to read on in Matthew uh, chapter 9, you don't have to go there, but um, we get this accusation against Jesus. He's mocked. 
and they say to him, um, no, sorry, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus ridiculed for being the friend of sinners. And yet, he then claims in that very section to be in line with woman wisdom. He says, wisdom is proved right by her actions. This is a right thing. This is a wise thing. This is a God thing. He comes to those who are foolish. He comes to those who are needy. He comes to those who are broken. He comes to those who are sinful. He says, come. I've not come for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know that they are sinful. And so as he progresses in his life, he comes to the point just before he dies where he sits his disciples down for a banquet. And he takes wine. And what does he say of that wine? He says, do you know what? This is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. He dines with sinners because he is going to die for sinners for the forgiveness of of their sins. God, the great host, God, the great inviter, is all about inviting those who have no right to be at his banquet. They wouldn't be among your seven. He's the guy straight out of the brothel. And yet that is the very person that God comes in Jesus to hand the cup of the forgiveness of sins. Now, question for you. How have you responded to that? How do you respond to this invitation of God when he says, come those who are simple, those lacking in judgment? Well, there are two ways to respond, Proverbs says. So let's move on to see your response in verses 7 to 11. When Jesus said, I come not for the righteous but for sinners, he really divided people. Those who knew themselves to be sinners did what? Flocked to him. Like a magnet, they loved him. He's come for me. But what about the righteous? Those who thought they were good, those who thought they had it all together, they hated him. They despised him. They abused him. They insulted him. Eventually, they nailed him to a tree. And woman wisdom in this chapter, verse 9, uh, verses 7 to 12, says that she has the same kind of bipolar response. Have a look at verse 7. On the one hand, there are the mockers. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. When woman wisdom comes and to some people who think that they are something and she says that you are simple, they hate her. When she comes and says to those who think they lack nothing and says you are lacking, they hate her. Christianity, the message of the Bible, the invitation of woman wisdom is first of all a rebuke, a correction. It attacks you. It says, do you know what? You are not as good as you think. You are not as altogether as you think. In fact, you're broken, you're needy, you're lacking, you're sinful. But some of us don't like that. 
You know, we see her making this call to the guy who's just slept with the prostitutes, and we say, I don't want to take my seat at a banquet next to him. We say, how, how dare you put me in the same category as that? How dare you call me simple and lacking and sinful and wicked even? And so we mock. We put our nose in the air and our eyes look down. We don't like it. Women wisdom says there is always that response. I wonder if that's how you're responding. But there is another response in verses 8b to 9. As well as the mockers, there are those who are wise. Verse 8b, rebuke a wise man, he'll love you. Instruct a wise man, he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. There are some, when women wisdom comes saying, you're simple. Admit, you, I know. There are some, when Jesus comes saying that you are sinful, you say, I've been trying to hide that, but the truth is, exactly me. What creates the difference between these two responses? What's the difference between a mocker and someone who is wise? Well, we're back to that Proverbs motto, verse 10. Here's the difference. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How do you get wise? Well, you get your relationship right with the Lord. That is, you come to the point where you're not just working on the horizontal, looking down on others, comparing yourself to other men and women. But you get to the point where you're looking at the vertical and you're saying, he's creator and I'm a creature. He's righteous and I'm sinful. He's holy and I'm rebellious. He's eternal and I'm finite. He's judge and I'm the judged. You know, the fear of the Lord puts you on your nose, puts you flat on your face before the holiness of God. And when you're flat on your face, you cannot look down your nose at someone else and mock. See, when you get the comparison between yourself and the Lord, it's when you start getting wisdom. You're not looking down on others. But actually, you take the title simple and lacking in judgment, and you say, well, that's an understatement. I'm actually worse than that. That's where true wisdom is born. Let me speak to you if you're not a Christian. Uh, How do you feel when Jesus comes and says, I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners? Which category do you put yourself in? I'm all right. I'm okay. Or actually, do you know what? There is something broken, something guilty in me. Well, God would come to you as the great host, the great inviter tonight and say, listen, come. It's exactly who Jesus came for. It was whilst we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We didn't just need a leader, we needed a savior. So he comes and dies on the cross. Tonight, you could follow Matthew and his example as Matthew comes before Jesus and Jesus says, listen, follow me. Leave that way and come to my banquet. Tonight there could be fullness, eternal life if you repent and believe. Uh, That's what verse 12 says, if you're wise, you know, your wisdom will reward you. When you get your relationship right with the eternal gods, you reap 
eternal benefits, both in this life and the life to come. But look at the other half of that verse. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Those who hear the words of women wisdom, who hear the words of Jesus and say, I mock that. That insults me, so I will insult him. That abuses my pride, so I will abuse Jesus. Jesus says, you will suffer alone. What about for those of us who are Christians? Where are we at on the mockery or the wise scale? Let me speak to those of us at Charlotte Chapel specifically. How are we doing on wisdom in regards to, in the language of this passage, accepting rebuke and accepting correction? Imagine this guy from Proverbs 7 verse 7. The young man lacking sense, simple, who has just bedded a prostitute. Imagine he walked into Charlotte Chapel and he sits next to you. In fact, expand that. Imagine there was some sense of revival so that into Charlotte Chapel walk more of the simple and the lacking in judgment. Imagine the pews were filled with the prostitutes and the pedophiles and the pimps, with the addicts and the teenage mums. And they're sitting in the pews with us. How do you respond? How do you engage? Do you look down your nose? Do we keep our distance? Do we protect our family and move away? Or do we get to the point where we're relating to them where they could correct us because we realize that we've not arrived yet, that we're not perfect yet? that we're not wise all the time? Are we mocking, looking down our nose? Or are we being wise, open to that rebuke, open to that correction? Imagine again, this guy, this young man, lacking sense, walks in. He's come out of the brothel and he gets handed a card by Robin on the streets. And he hears of this great invitation to those who are simple and lacking in judgment. And so he comes in thinking, all right, I want to hear this. I want to know more. As he comes in, what kind of environment does he perceive? What kind of context does he meet? Does he meet a bunch of people who are giving the impression that they are fine, that life is okay, that they've got everything together? Does he meet a context where people are too embarrassed to cry or too proud to admit weakness or too superficial to acknowledge and confess sin? Because if he's heard the invitation to those who are needy and then comes into a context where there is no opportunity to express need... Is he going to stay or is he going to leave? Does that make sense? He hears the invitation to those who are broken, but he comes in and he meets a bunch of people who are pretending that they're all healthy. I wonder if we need to be far more open with each other so that the community matches the invitation, that the guests at the banquet match the invitation of the host. That's why I've I've liked these interviews we've done in this Proverbs series. Because we've had people who have been courageous enough 
to admit before a room this size and say, do you know what? I really struggle with pride. I've really noticed my arrogance. Or I'm really wrestling with anxiety. Or I'm really struggling to submit to my boss at work. That's healthy. That's Christian. Because we're not all there. Do you get that? We need to make sure we're not more on the mocker's end of the scale, but we are actually wise. And wise enough to be humble to submit ourselves to one another. What is your response? Wise or mocking? Before the father pulls the curtains on this introduction, though, he has one more thing to say to his son, one more thing to say to us. He will not let us close this introduction in chapters 1 to 9 without warning us again of the consequences of making the wrong choice. So we see thirdly, and finally, Follies Banquet, verses 13 to 18. The father says to his son, Listen, my son, there is another woman, in verse 13. There is another house, verse 14. And she is a rival at the same location, verse 15. And she is a rival to the same people, verse 16. She too is at the highest point, and she calls to the simple and those lacking in judgment. Women folly is no less earnest to kill as wisdom is to save. But what does she have to offer? Women wisdom set before the sun, meat and wine. Verse 17, what does she offer on her banquet? Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. That shows the warpedness of our human nature, doesn't it? That as soon as you forbid me from doing something, I want to do it. As soon as you tell me you can't have that, what do I want? That! You know that? But wisdom plays on the short-lived adrenaline of a chase and the self-deceived liberty of a lie. And there's a song out at the moment which I think expresses this amazingly. It's by um, One Republic. You may have heard the songs in the charts. quite like it. But there's an interesting line that says, everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Everything that drowns me makes me want to fly. That's a good lyric, actually, because it expresses some of this stolen water is sweet. What is walking away from God often feels that it makes us alive, doesn't it? That's why temptation is so powerful. But Proverbs would correct that lyric and say, even if it feels like it is making us alive, it is killing us. Now, I could give my dog a Mars bar, but a dog being allergic to chocolate, as much as he would love it, it would kill him. Sin is that effect. It is sweet and it is forbidden, but it is deadly and it is against God's law. I don't know if you watched that video from Tom Daly this week. Uh, this, the Team GB athlete, the diver who came out as bisexual. The thing that caught my attention from the video was the language he used about this new relationship with a bloke. And the language he used was, it feels so right. And he said it a couple of times, it just feels so right, so safe. And so we've started to get our ethics from what we feel. We've started to think through our feelings. Do you know what Proverbs would say? 
Do you know, even your feelings can be foolish. Just because you feel something does not mean that it is right. Actually, we need God's wisdom to trump our feelings. And so the father lifts a lie of verse 17. He says, do you know what? Secrecy is a lie. The Lord sees everything. In verse 8, but little do they know the dead are there, that our guests are in the depths of the grave. God does uphold a moral order where his righteousness brings life, but wickedness, sin, folly brings death. It is an attractive offer from women folly, but it is a banquet in the grave. The wages of sin always have been and always will be death. So let me ask you tonight, who are you listening to? Who are you dining with? Which woman allures your heart? Which feast excites your appetites? Whose guest are you? Women wisdoms or women follies? The reality is that we have all entered into that foolishness, that unrighteousness that leads to death. But that is why we need that banquet that Jesus offers in the Lord's Supper. I would have loved to have had communion tonight. I think that would have been right tonight. As Christians to say, I want to feast on this bread and this wine, his body and his blood. Because I know that in this banquet, which points to his cross, even though I've been unrighteous, he gives me his righteousness. Even though I've been foolish, he gives me his wisdom. Even though I deserve death, he gives me life. We should have had communion tonight. And only through Jesus can we get to this eternal banquet. A joy unending. Satisfaction complete. Life eternal. But there is always a second banquet. The wages of sin are eternal punishments. Condemnation and death. Whose guest are you? These women stand before us tonight. Who are you dining with? Jesus says, come to me. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much that your invitation reveals so much about your character. That though holy, you are loving. Though just, you are gracious. Though jealous, you are merciful. So our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your invitation in Christ Jesus to those of us who are so undeserving. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that in Christ we have access to this eternal banquet. So we praise you. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.